Hello, hello everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me as always is Zeke Baker and together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you very much for making us a part of your day. Say hello to the folks, Zeke. Hello, hello and thanks for tuning in once again. It's been a long time or a couple weeks since we've been alone. It's kind of nice to, to be here by ourselves, even though I do have to say, I think it might have been one of our best shows last week with the crew from Barrels of Brews. No, I, I truly enjoyed that thoroughly. I know you did as well. I think we all did. Um, that was just fun. Five guys, literally. We got here, we caught up. You can probably... Uh, infer from the show that we'd had a couple of pours beforehand and, and, and discussed various things that we thought were pertinent, whether they were in the world or not, and then just really had a, a great time, which at the end of the day, you can't ask for more, and no, that's and what it's all about, you know. And and I think, if anything, you can infer from that show that it was five friends sitting around a table, hanging out and talking about whiskey and we hope that it was a great mix of fun with the technical and dorky aspects of whiskey that I think we really got into the tasting, but I think we showed that we had a lot of fun at the same time, right? Yeah, and that's clearly where, if anything, it, it would shine through is, all right, clearly these are uh, five dorks, nerds, or enthusiasts, whichever choice term you want to go with or some mix. Ryan Ray doesn't like it when we call ourselves dorks. So. <laughs> well, that's why with enthusiast as well as an option. Yeah, enthusiast is a better word. But clearly, we all had a lot of fun uh, saying way too many words about what we thought on various pours of uh, rye whiskey or bourbon or whatever. I still think that boxed whiskey tasted like charcoal. It wasn't that bad. I, I might have to revisit that because, I, I mean, it wasn't that bad, but I could also say, like, getting punched in the stomach wasn't that bad, opposed to getting punched in my face. I mean, it's cheaper than 1.75 of Beam, which you give me a hard time for. Repeatedly. I don't give you a hard time over Beam. 1.75 White Label? I've never given you a hard time over Beam. You got to have a daily drinker. With bitters, ice, and something else. Well, speaking of fun, let's get something out of the way here because our friends over at Studio, which if you've been following us, it's been a long time coming to get Zeke to wear headphones on this show. So I want to thank Studio for sending us a pair of their Regents, which Zeke now wears with pride during every show. The Regents have a padded and adjustable headband, studio quality sound, 24 hours of battery life, a three button remote and mic optional interchangeable caps and a collapsible design that is their studio looking headphones it can work both bluetooth or it can work with an auxiliary cable there is also the tray which you can put in ear it's a bluetooth great for while you're running and then there's the nivea that just came out that is similar to the apple airpods so go check out our friends at studio studio.com that's s-u-d-i-o.com use code bourbon that is use code bourbon for 15 percent off of your order and remember studio designing sound now that we got that fun part out of the way let's get in we we want to give back you know the best we can and and you know we always try to trade samples with you all and and some of you actually send us some samples and we apologize for any delay in getting anything back to you but we will always 
get things back to you eventually. We, we pride <laughs> ourselves in that. We love actually sharing and sending things back and forth with you all. But we had a couple people send us some stuff. So what we thought we would do in a fun little segment, since it's just Zeke and I tonight, is let's drink some of the stuff that you all sent us while we answer your questions. So we went out on Instagram, we went out on Facebook, we went out on the interwebs, and we said, what do you guys want to know? We're doing a show tonight. It's just Zeke and I. Let's answer some of your questions. So Zeke, we are going to drink the first sample, and I know this was a sample you received. So why don't you tell us about what we're drinking, and then I'll start drinking it. You can answer a question. We'll go back and forth. We'll ping pong. We'll have a little bit of discussion here while we're drinking, and then we'll move into our flight of the night. Sure thing. This is a uh, sample of Balcones Blue Corn Whiskey. It's cash strength. Moy Poco. Very something. Oh, you always say Moy Poco. It's not very little. It's very big. What was the proof on this? Uh, the proof on this one is 129.2, 64.6% ABV. And as my good friend Mr. Bill prefaced it, he said, I live in Texas. I'm from Texas. This is the first Texas whiskey I've been proud to share with people. I haven't had too many Texas whiskeys, though. I, I think that's something. Do you know I, anyone that's had too many that were good? You know, I don't even think I've had them to try to compare. Uh, that's something I think we should look at. There, there are some good places. You know, I know that we have some from Maine that we need to try. That our friend Rick sent us. We have the Woodenvilles that come from the Pacific Northwest that we need to try. And then I think Texas is an area that that's kind of booming in whiskey that we need to visit more. Well, we just, you know, it's interesting to think about as far as the, the aging climate area. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a heck of a lot hotter down there. I, mean, I can only imagine what the angel share would be per barrel for anything. That would be, I would love to ask them that. I mean, that's got to be max evaporation. Yeah. I mean, when it gets down to like 100 degrees down there in the summer, that's going to be a lot down to nice choice of words yeah <laughs> that's like at night it gets down to 100 degrees at night so i'll let john get into some tastings on this one we'd fielded some questions through both um, facebook and instagram social media wise one of the first questions i i caught that i liked was from jeremy fisher he asked uh, you know what percent of our collection was open bottles and then also, what rationale may or may not be behind cracking open bottle or how much thought did or did not go into that? I would say percent open, at least for myself, is probably 70% or more. Honestly, there's a few cherry willets that I've tucked away and hidden for obvious reasons. I don't mind cracking them and drinking them, but, you know, if I need a kidney or something one day, then... That's a little more prevalent and uh, important. Wait, you're not going to ask me if you need a kidney? <laughs> I thought we had a better relationship than that. Well, I'm still hoping to drink the Willet one day, so you might be number one instead of number two on that list. I'm just saying where I am. What if you don't meet you know, the requirements for a donor? We should check that. Exactly. So that's when the Willet comes into play. But no, I, I honestly don't mind cracking hardly much of anything unless it's 
truly a, a, an expensive and or novel item, so to speak. I, I think we all can gauge that threshold for ourselves regarding what a secondary evaluation is and say, all right, up to this point, nope, don't care. Good friends, family in town, somebody I want to drink this with, or shit, I just want to try it myself. Have it at it wide open. But there is some level that most all of us are probably not comfortable with just Oh, I got this in the mail yesterday. Who wants to tear the top off of it? And and that is what it is. But for the most part, at least on my end, I truly want to dive into everything I can, see if it's worth the hype, share it with as many people as I can. That Bourbon Hill we had a few uh, a week or two ago. That's a dusty. It wasn't anything special, but you know it has some value in the secondary markets. And literally, I, I was just more than happy to share it with people and say, hey, here's something random that you probably haven't had may not find anybody that does and i don't care if you love it or hate it but hey you can say you had it and we had a good time that's what it matters at the end of the day for me there are only five bottles that i really protect and don't open those are the four roses whiskey icons bottles i have everything else is pretty much open with exceptions of duplicates that i have that is the god's honest truth zeke if you came over to my house right now pretty much everything is open i did I've been working on something, doing my best to condense everything I have because I really have a majority of the four roses. So when I get ETLC, I have an open one. I'm ETL's newest fan. You have not shared this with me. All right. Well, next week I'll bring an ETLC. I have an I have an open ETLC. I might have three backups of it that aren't open. Oh, there you go. But when you're talking about what is open in my collection, right? There is a bottle of everything that's pretty much open except for those four roses everything else is just going to be a backup in the bunker so when it comes to that i think whiskey's for drinking whiskey's not necessarily for sitting on but if there's stuff i like then i'll get duplicates so a lot of the four roses picks if i'm able to get two i get two and i immediately open one and i put the other one away for the rainy day when i finish that first bottle so Anything that I have that's not open is just waiting to be opened after the the first one finishes. I love Jeremy. Jeremy's a good dude. So now it's my turn. Zeke's kind of handling the Facebook questions. I am handling the Instagram questions. There is a great Instagram question from Bucci Dad, which makes me think it's like Gucci Mob. Like Bucci Dad, Bucci Dad, Bucci Dad. Gucci Mane. Yeah. Gucci Mane, Gucci Mane, Gucci Mane. Not mob. There's a Gucci mob, isn't there? Do I sound like such a dad right now? John, if you keep it with rap better than I do, I'm going to have to walk away. So when do you add ice or water to your drink? Do you always try neat and then add to see the difference? I'm sure you can elaborate. So 99.9% of the time, Zeke and I drink our whiskey neat. I think there are times that we've added... Uh, water to our drink sometimes out of laziness we just drink it neat sometimes it's preference that we just drink it neat i should also say that there is not a right answer to this one you drink it however you want it so if you like having an ice cube in it then put an ice cube in it if you like having three drops of water in it then you put three drops of water in it if you like having your whiskey with a lemon rind then go ahead and put that in there. Whatever you do, 
you know, Zeke already says he, he has his beam with a couple of dashes of bitters. Whatever you like to do to enjoy your whiskey, it's like a Reese's. There's no wrong way to eat it. Yeah, I mean, whatever floats your boat, go with it. I just sincerely hope that that is never an expensive bottle I offer. Yeah, <laughs> well... There's nothing worse than seeing a, a William LaRue Weller or a 22 Willet Wheater with more ice than bourbon in it in a Glencairn. And you just need to walk away out of the room because you don't have anything nice to say. But I do know if you put a drop of water or some other things in there, it can unlock different tasting notes. I'm not talking about putting a lot of water in there, but there is some science behind it. I've just never real. I just prefer, I like a higher proof whiskey. I like having it neat, and that's just me. No, I'm the same way, and uh, laughably, our good friend Tarak at Elixir, like he and I taste more than handfuls of things, and that's our biggest laughable debate, is I give him my notes, and he gives me his, neat, and he has it with water inevitably almost always tells me it's better with a couple of drops and then when i taste it with a couple of drops what you added to on the back end or, or what flavors you defined in the mid palate you completely lost in the nose the front end there's no pop no just whoo nothing jumps out at you and i don't know you know it's by no means knocking him we're, we're great friends and, and have fun through these tastings but i, I do see both sides of the coin and it's all in fun. Just enjoy it. And I'm not going to knock anybody for the way that they enjoy their whiskey, but my take is just kind of if the master distiller wanted us to taste it at a different proof, they would have put it at a different <clears throat> proof. I just kind of like drinking it the way they intended me to. <laughs> Let, let's talk about this Balcones. Let's take a little break here. Talk about the Balcones. One of the darkest whiskeys I've seen for the age and I don't know what the age is but I know it's a little bit younger than something that would be this dark yeah I find that to be super interesting I mean literally we've got five or six things here on the table and it's the darkest and honestly I don't think in any of our reviews ever have John or I really noted color we have some friends that are more fans of it than we are but to us for the most part it's going to be amber copper golden and if it's not then it's something else. Well, and, and people mention color. Color is more indicative of age, right? The the older it is, the darker it's going to be. I think this one's kind of funny because I get a little bit of coffee on the nose on it, and I get that oaky coffeeness caramel. It's like a, a dark chocolate. You know, the tasting notes are very dark on it. At the same time, I get that dark, but I also taste the youth. And... It's funny because it's almost deceptive that it looks so dark. It would look older if you didn't even know what was in the glass. You would think it was older than it was. And then it's dark notes with that slight little taste of youth in there. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, I think I'm just as my palate strengthens and as you know we taste more and more whiskey, I notice that it's not even an astringency. It's just that it's almost like a, a like a citrusy part of it, where you just kind of. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, but it it's just whenever I have it, I know it's youth. I see it to a degree. Um, not to 
jump past anything, but some notes-wise here. Nose-wise, um, we were, were both pretty similar here. I had a lot of black coffee. I mean, jet dark black coffee. Nothing else in it. Possibly even plenty of uh, coffee grinds pointing in there. I mean, I'm thinking something like out in the wild, wild west that somebody just stewed over a fire. I mean, it's the wild, wild west. <laughs> Unless you can interject that Cartman sound. It, it, the wild, wild west. That's not his voice. When uh, Cartman rapped the Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah! If, if John can splice that in later, I'll be happy. But. I'll kick you in the nuts. <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it just tasted like a really um, Wrangler style of coffee. I don't know. Something just out there. Very black. Either way, um, also dark chocolate on golden graham crackers is really where I got with this. Just between some semblance of sweetness laden behind the just thick coating that was there. Palette-wise, this was probably the interest, most interesting part in the fact that up front, it really seemed like a heavy char. I mean, just not old oak by any means, but just heavy charred oaks, what really hit. And I think it's the same of where that coffee and dark chocolate nose is from. But then behind it, a corn hits, and it it's not a sweet corn. It, it It's not a Tennessee corn. It it's nice it, whatever blue corn is I don't know but it, it has obviously some different qualities to it that you can taste corn but it's not fresh unpleasant unaged etc and I think with this one if you were asking me what I would expect a Texas rancher to drink it it's rugged yet refined yeah that, that, that's right where my notes are simply char then corn then a nice finish and, and so honestly uh, sorry for lack of better words but it wasn't simple but in so many ways it was and then my final thought was some very interesting balance is found it's a it's a no frills whiskey you know i i think it's exactly what you would expect and I kind of liked it. I liked it more than any of the Balcones I've had before. I appreciated this one. The other thing I would say is this one didn't taste to me like a 125 proofer or 129 proofer. Mm -mm. You know, it went down a heck of a lot smoother than 129.2, which also makes me think, and, and I really debated about this before saying it tasted youthful to me, I debated is was it the proof or was it the youth that I was tasting there and it was ultimately at the end of the day the youth to me but for 129.2 man that's an easy sipper yeah I mean I really think whatever whatever char is in that barrel and or whatever the the blue corn adds to it somehow as a young whiskey it really finds an, an interesting balance that it is enjoyable and still yields a a sweetness that you know to me is more caramelization, toffee, sugars, that whole line of thought versus just man, is it just young corn? So at forty bucks, I'd buy this easily. 
Well, that's easy. Who sent us that one? Aaron Bill from Texas. Well, thank you very much for sending that to us. We definitely appreciate it. I'm going to go back and pick on our friend Kyle Anderson again because he just sent us so many good things. We, we don't have to go through the tasting notes on this one, but he sent us a Four Roses OESO pick from Warehouse Liquors in Chicago, Illinois. This is a nine-year, eight-month bottle. It's single barrel, 59% ABV, so 118 proof. Out of Warehouse FN, it's barrel 81-4i. This is just something we can say was good, not good, while we go through the next round of questions. So while Zeke sips on this one, I'm actually going to go again because I think this is an amazing question that we got from Bama Bourbon Fan, which is somebody that we know and love, our friend David down in Alabama. Zeke wishes you had a different football team, but that's a different story. So he said, one thing I haven't heard many folks talk about is using tasting note charts or wheels. I know some bourbon groups use them and like them. Any experience with these? I doubt kudzu syrup or roughage appears on a standard chart. Everybody loves Zeke's taste and notes, by the way. And then somebody else, Stetwo, also joined in. These are obviously people on Instagram and said, Are there any sensory nosing techniques that aid in detecting the flavors in charts or wheels? So what I would tell you is I don't knock charts or wheels. This is at least for me. I think sometimes you can be hampered by having a charter wheel just because if if you're given the options that are there, you're always going to pick them. So a lot of people will always say they taste vanilla, they taste caramel, they taste allspice, they taste nutmeg. There are those similar things where I think Zeke and I try to really rely more on old factory senses rather than something that is set for us. I don't dislike charts and wheels and things like that because I think it starts to train your palate, but I think it's important to find something that's relatable to you. So at the end of the day, if it makes you think of kudzu syrup in Georgia Fields, then that's what it brings you to and that's what's relatable to you. Just because somebody said anise doesn't mean that you necessarily detect anise in the whiskey. No, I'm completely with you. And Anytime someone gives me notes in an olfactory sense, that's where I appreciate it the most. No matter if it's a bourbon, rye, whatever, there's going to be certain characteristics that will be inert to it. Just honestly, no matter what. And so you can say those empirically, or you, you can just pinpoint on like the three or four or even two things that just really stood out to you. And to me, that that's where the, the difference really is. And I don't know, I think John and I both do it, but it's literally finding random foods or snacks or random things around the home that I wouldn't say necessarily test your palate, but... You know, it's fun to see, like, all right, what do I taste out of this? Like, I go back to it again and again, but, like, jelly beans. Get a whole variety pack of jelly bellies. There's all kinds of mixed flavors and just random things. Eat them one by one, see what you taste. Who knows if it's right or wrong? Or even, you know, gummy bears. I don't know. For some reason, I'm a sugar kid, but I like sticking to that and, and things that are 
flavored to be a certain way and then just tasting those and seeing what I get and then from that going from there and saying all right well this is what reminds me of this or that or, or whatever other things I remember is you know life has gone on no I would agree with you on that talking about this four roses by the way it's really nice I, I get some nice spice on this it goes down I, I like it I'm just gonna leave it at that you know, Kyle was saying how good the pick was up there. I really enjoyed this one. I could drink this one again. Thank you for sending it. But Zeke, you have another question for us. Well, I will say to the Four Roses as well, if you see an OBSO or OESO, some of those can be some very interesting, if not magical, picks for you, especially if you've spent much time in Four Roses. Some do have a yeast and, and flavor profile that you know, are similar to Four Roses, but, but some are, are very much one-offs, and they're not bad by any means. As far as myself and Four Roses, that's my favorite area to explore, are those two mashes. Maybe the Q's, secondly, but and either way... And a lot way, of people the, don't those, like the Q's, and I like the, the Q's. Those and the Q's, that, that, that's where I'm really gravitating to so much right now. I just find them interesting. I think... There's a lot of variance between them. Uh, you, you can get some similarities as we discussed last week, but ask a question. Hits the palate. That's where I want to go. Yeah. So we had one from Todrick Crawford that simply said, how long is too long to age in a barrel? This one, rhetoric was mentioned the whatever four or five decades of age thing was mentioned. Obviously, there's... Yeah, which I got an email. I was going to ask you if you wanted to go halfsies on that, but then I realized it was two grand. So what I'll say on this, and and we don't have to spend too much time on this one, Zeke, because you're going to say the same thing I do. Yeah, no, I've got two questions out of this. It is, you have two questions out of this? Well, this one isn't long enough to count as a full one. Well, I would just say it, it comes down to the master distiller to determine what the best date of release is. If you think about some of the stuff that's out there, they're tasting it consistently every year. They should know. If you look at Four Roses, not to keep harping on them, you know, Brent does a very good job at tasting these and figuring out when the perfect time to release them is, whether or not they're a single barrel, whether or not they should go out in the mass-produced stuff, whether or not they should be in a limited edition small batch. You know, some people have different sweet spots for different whiskeys. I think it also goes down to personal taste. Some people like more of an oakier taste. I tend to think that when it gets over oaked, that's when it turns me off a little bit. So I know it's a cop out almost to say different strokes for different folks, but it's just what do you like more in your whiskey? I do think there is a period though where it goes too long. And each whiskey is going to be different because there are so many different factors. There's not a good answer for this because if you're aging, you know, if you're aging in the north opposed to aging in Kentucky or Tennessee, you might be in the barrel for five, six extra years in the north to get the same equivalent that you would in the temperature variance that you would have in the south. It's just how it is, right? So Zeke is looking at me. And I know he's thinking about something. So just say it. Just No, I love these questions because literally I can tell you, I can tell going in where your mind will go and where mine will. 
There's always an asterisk. There's always an exception. Eight to 11 years. Done. I'm out. Mic drop. Moving on. Next question. So our good friend Troy in Wisconsin, he's fired a couple at us. I would hate to slight him on anything. You can choose which of these two to pick, John. All right. A, greatest price to quality value, or big box versus small independent liquor stores is what you save on the front end, and by front end would be big box worth avoiding your locals. Like I say, you can pick whichever one you want. I'm going to pick them both. No, no, that's too much time. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be super easy. What was the first question again? Exactly. Greatest price to quality value. Early times bottled and bond. We both agree. Drop the mic. Second thing is big box versus a small retailer. I don't think you can build the same relationship at the big box that you would at the small retailer. You might be able to. You know, fair enough, but at that big retailer, you're really competing with a heck of a lot more people than you would at the smaller retailer. The smaller retailer might take the time with you to open some bottles, have some tastings with you. I, they might have some, you know, I just don't, I don't know. I mean, we tend to find that those medium sized stores are fun. The, the world I live and work in is. Pharmacy years ago was all family owned, family run. That's kind of, I mean, that's now it's big box, and I get it, and I may not work for them or have them, but at the same time, you still always appreciate the quote unquote mom and pop, that feel. And I mean, it was two or three more dollars a bottle to enjoy where you walk in, for someone to know your name, know what you like, and even better most likely keep what you prefer on hand all right it's hands down for me i tend to go to places i call it the norm factor so all of you that are old enough to have watched the tv show cheers when norm walked into the bar and everybody went norm i tend to gravitate to places when you walk in and they say john great to see you you know, it's, it's you're not going to get that level of service at a big box store. I tend to gravitate towards local places with local people that remember you and you have an experience every single time you go. That's just what I gravitate towards. I like building relationships with people. I also like talking. I know you all are sitting there saying no shit, but it's <laughs> something that I, I just... I have a better time there than I would in going to a big box where you're really just a number and they're pushing product in and out. Yeah. You got anything else? What what else do you have written down there? Um, the only other thing I found interesting was what were our favorite pours to pair with food? And by food, they meant barbecue, pizza, wings, and burgers. Who asked that one? That would be Samuel Michael Clark. And I honestly laughed when I read it. Laughed. Even more, I wrote it down, and all I could think of was Alka-Seltzer and not bourbon, because my world is wrecked. Well, (laughs) first, I have to say that he is a model American, by the way. Uh, Mr. Clark, thank you for everything you do protecting our country. We, uh, 
he he is a uh, a proud member of the Air Force, so we are happy to have him out there uh, serving and protecting us. But I don't know. I mean, anything. You know, I'm I'm fine having bourbon with pretty much anything. So it's it's what's your favorite to have? Now you know that for me. I'm really interested in kind of the bourbon pairings, and this is something that we could probably spend a whole show on, is what different bourbons and ryes that you would pair with different foods, and I almost think there's a whole niche for it, like wine, but when it comes to pizza, cheeseburgers, things like that, sit me down, give me a high proofer, and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I just, at this point in time, reflux kills me. Trust me, I know how to treat it. So you have a side of Zantac? No. Alcohol seltzer and better things. Well. Anyways, <laughs> thank you very much for your questions. Send us more questions. We're happy to answer them. What we're gonna do right now is we are going to take a break. We're gonna come back. What we have today, and we didn't even introduce it yet. Yeah, you, you skipped a beat. We have this Maker's Mark Seared Boo 1 through 3. I don't even know how to pronounce this one. But Maker's Mark put out a limited edition 375 milliliter bottle. We got it. And comes in at 110.7 proof. It was made out of experimental virgin seared and Susavide French oak staves. So this is something I'll introduce when we come back. We'll talk about this, but we're putting it up against a Maker's Mark Private Select and a Maker's Mark Cast Strength because these are all over 110 proof. So we're gonna take a break, we're gonna sip on these, we'll come back, we'll discuss them, we'll talk about them, and then we'll leave you. So Zeke, go ahead and do what you do. Roll that footage. Keep it rolling, 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 rolling. All right, and we are back. In the break, we had Maker's Mark Cast Strength, 111.6 proof, 55.8% ABV. It is non-age stated, but it's around six years, and it comes in at $60 MSRP. We also had Maker's Mark Private Select. This was a Reds Wine and Spirits pick out of Nashville, Tennessee. It was 110.8 proof, 55.4% ABV, it was made using two seared French cuvee staves, four Maker's 46 staves, four roasted French mocha staves. The age is non-age stated, but it's around six years and comes in at about $80 MSRP. Last but not least, we had the Maker's Mark seared one through three, 110.7 proof, 55.35% ABV. There were only about 1,400 barrels of this. It was the first ever for Maker's Mark to release in such a limited quantity. It is the second generation of the Private Select program. It was made using 10 experimental virgin seared and Susavide French oak staves. It is a distillery only release, 375 milliliters comes in at $39.99 MSRP. So Zeke, before we get started here, I should mention that the Maker's Mark Limited Edition, one of our friends on Instagram, The Bourbon Guy, and he goes as The Bourbon Denim Guy, underscore between all of those words on Instagram, 
he was nice enough to meet up with me in Nashville and give us one of these bottles. So thank you so much for that. Go ahead and check him out. Follow him. He's always got some great pictures up there. So uh, we know that we are going to do something good for him. I think I said we would send him our whistle pick pick that we did along with the Whiskey House and Elixir Wine and Spirits. So thank you for, for giving us some content, giving us something that we can't get every day because there were only about 1,400 bottles of this. So that's super awesome of you. Thank you. Anybody who listens to the show knows I blind Zeke. Zeke blinds me. What we're going to do here is we're just going to get it all on the table. We, we have this stuff written down so we know what our guesses are. So, Zeke, I will give you what you had first. And then as you're going through and we're giving the tasting notes, you could say if you got it right or wrong. All right, then, I can pitch it and you just tell me yes or no. Okay, fine. Left, I thought was private select. Correct. Middle, I thought was the boo. No. And right, I thought was cash strength by default. Yeah, no, you just missed, you mixed up the cash strength and the seared. Interesting. So I had an acronym just like you do. I did PCS this week. I didn't have an acronym this time, but. Well,. For me, <laughs> for me, what I thought here was the first one on the left, I thought was the cast strength. I thought the middle was the seared, and I thought the right was the private select. No, the far left was the boo, because there was a B on the glass. <laughs> the middle which was the dad's drinking bourbon blend, was cash strength straight up because we're always foolproof. And the one on the right was the private select because it was an odd congener. So I got one right, you got one right, which is which is fair. I think um, as we go through the notes here, so let's talk about the first one here, which for me was the, the limited edition, the seared blue. Uh, the nose for me was sweet vanilla with slight astringency. The taste, I got spice, chocolate, oak, vanilla. It almost tasted the thinnest on the first hit of the palate to me. And then the finish, I said this was the shortest finish, but the hug build. Yeah, and what I honestly thought was the cash strength, but was the blue. Um, very similar notes. Nose-wise, it, it was more... Alcohol forward seemed less coffee, which for whatever reason, all three of these have a very heavy coffee theme in my world. Um, it also had a nose of very fresh pulled caramel, if that makes sense to anybody. Palette wise, laughably similar to John. Very front end, it was very thin. For a moment, it seemed real like some just nice pancakes. Uh, it kind of moved toward a slight warmth, and then it did thicken on the back. I think John got a little more heat than I did, but either way, laughably how some of the notes are for that one. And I find it funny that we both got the same ones wrong, right? So we both mi mixed up the cast strength and the seared. You know, moving on to the cast strength for me, I got sweet vanilla, darker notes, 
toasted caramel on the nose. So there was almost a toastiness and a warmth to it, even on the nose, but not an astringent nose, just a warmth that was there. The taste, I did get chocolate oak caramel. I thought it was almost slightly over-oaked, which is, I think, why I thought it was the seared, because the seared has a lot of those staves in there, and I was just trying to do deductive reasoning. Um, the finish for me, I said the oak lingers. So I really got that kind of dry oak or the dry oakiness that stays with you for a little bit. My notes on the cash strength, nose-wise, it seemed lighter compared to the two. Much more fruity. Um I got a peach component somewhere in there. I don't, I don't know. It, it, that was the peach I associated with. Also seemed to get some French vanilla, uh, caramel or toffee out of it. Palette-wise, initially it, it was somewhat char-forward. had a lot of fruit undertones, um, but there was still just a singe to it that, to me, was somewhat off-putting it's funny i got a lot of oak on that and you got a lot of uh fruit well palette wise if i say char singe that's oak in my world good to know it's only been two years char oak well moving on to number three we got this uh we got this one right i think this is this is such a wild card because it is a store pick. It is what the store decided to actually put in there. I thought it was lighter and spicier, similar to the nose I would expect on a rye on my nose. The taste, I said oak with spice, a little dark chocolate, but slightly dry. I did get a little bit of chapped lips on there and gave a little bit of uh, what Zeke would do, that, which is like every sentence he begins with. And then last but not least, as Zeke would say, I got some spice that lingers at a medium level, but gives way to vanilla. So I almost got sweetness <laughs> on the very, very end. I think it's because you had this one third, and I had it first. Because honestly, all three of these were, were super similar. I mean... Oh, there's a lot of similarities between all of these. I... I we did multiple things here in the in the midst of this tasting to try and make sure that uh, we cleanse whatever we could. But laughably, the, the Aussie these are so close. But uh, for the private select, nose wise, I thought it was heavy coffee, and by heavy coffee, it was heavy coffee grounds, not necessarily brewed. To me, there's a difference. Who knows? Vanilla hints in the back end, palate wise. I don't know. It seemed almost like a, a super sweet vanilla extract, somewhere mixed in between Kahlua even. Um, I don't know. It was just really, really sweet beans. Toward the back end, it seemed to resonate more towards a black coffee again, and I just equated that to being the char from the barrel. But that's where I really got out of that one. We've had these. Now, which one would you say you like the best? I mean, that's tough. Um, I think it's very really tough to recommend a, a private select to any person since they're all by far one of those individual bottlings you're going to find in a store. 
ideally if a store has one of these picks they should have an open bottle and let you taste it that should be your decision maker ideally and then between the the ceremonial boo and the cask um hey boo <laughs> i don't know i i thought the cask was better it just had less of a char appearance to it they both had their moments but at the end of the day uh, I just don't resonate with char too well. To me, the cask is easy. It, it at sixty bucks, you're gonna get a sixty bucks cask weeder. Well, at the proof, it it it's beyond palatable, quote unquote. Oh you know? yeah, a hundred and eleven point six proof. It's something that's really good. I would pick up the I would pick up the seared for the novelty of it knowing that it's only 40 bucks and they're not doing too much of it it's it's something that you can pull out and have a conversation with your friends about i probably wouldn't do too many like you said i would need to taste a private select before i bought another one i know i bought this one i'm not saying it's bad but i'm just saying when you compare that 80 dollars to the 60 dollars of the cast strength i think the better play is the cast strength as plenty of people will say on finishes, this is more or less the same concept. Once that thing opens up, in a two days, maybe even a week at the most, it will change and you will find things that you may or may not love. Just know that going in. It's just a big investment. Yeah, and that, that's my stance. Is they change so much once they're cracked. You should really try this before you buy it. And like I say... Anybody's got this, the store bought the whole barrel. They should have an open. Absolutely. And if they don't, you know, maybe you should try one that does. Or just open one in the store and say, do you have any glasses? <laughs> Be bold, John Edwards. Be bold. Exactly. <laughs> so I think we're in agreement. I would seek out the cask. Zeke would seek out the cask. I'd seek out the seared just because I, I find it interesting. But that's just me. Hey, always the one for the novel uh, item or packaging. Now I'll tater it up for you. I know. I, I tater on the Willets. You tater on the experimental releases. I, I don't... I just think about... Because we know what makers taste like, Right? I can't sit around with you and our friends and pull out a bottle of Makers and say, oh, I'm tasting something different here. You know, and I I think that's the thing that it's not... I like something that we can have a conversation on, not just the same old stuff. So you know what an Eagle Rare is going to taste like. You know what a Buffalo Trace is going to taste like. I mean, I used to think I did. Oh, yeah. You used to think you did. But (laughs) I like some of these ones that are coming out that are a little different because it's a conversation starter. And we could sit around here and say, how does that compare to other makers? And have a night like we did tonight. If those weren't coming out, we wouldn't be able to do that. No, I mean, it's all fun. And even though the private selects is at a somewhat higher price point than probably most people we prefer there's some really good blends out of these again not the knock any store that doesn't have an open but if they went to makers they made the selections they should be proud enough to have the open and let you taste it 
Zeke says open it. So oh, last but not least, you, you poured these as you typically do into an infinity glass. What do you think? It's fair to Midland. I don't get anything better. I don't get anything worse. I'd agree with that. But these were all, by far, very similar compared to what we run into some nights. Yeah, we thought there was going to be a little more variance here, and it turns out there wasn't. So you learn something new every day. Hey, that means it's a successful day. We thank you guys for sending us in some questions. Please continue to do so. We will answer them on the show. We thank you that sent us samples. We will send something back to you. We also thank you if you go check us out on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Podknife, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, however you want to find us. We're just happy you do. Please leave us a five-star review. Also write something in there because that really helps us. And if other people stumble upon our podcast and they find that you wrote a nice review and that you like us, it might make them listen too. If you're not going to give us a five-star review, reach out to us. Tell us why first. We'd love to hear it. Also, uh, go ahead and find us on Twitter at Bourbon Dads, on Instagram at Dads Drinking Bourbon, on Facebook at Dads Drinking Bourbon. Again, we want to remind you that we do a tasting show. We only have enough whiskey that actually gives us the nose, the taste, the finish. Please drink responsibly. Have sober drivers. Get home safely. If you're doing a night like this with your friends, plan accordingly. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Always in glamorous Nashville, Tennessee. And as John, I'm sure, will reiterate, we always have an open-door policy. We love sharing. We love enjoying things. And and we love hearing other people's opinions. By no means are are we a a be-all, end-all, or (laughs) much less correct. We're just telling you what we think and having a good time, and we want to have that good time with other people. That's reiterated. (laughs) We hope you all have a great night. Cheers. Night. Ciao.